I just want to share with you to begin this message as we're in Exodus 19. Uh, this week is our um, is really the last, second to last week of the Exodus part of the series called Journey with Joy. Next week, I invite you back. I will be doing a one of those dialogic, conversational messages with John Ortberg. So please come. I think there's some really good things to say about the second half, about Exodus 19.10 through the end of that chapter. But I want to look at Exodus 19.1 through 9 and, and talk about that today. But before I do, I want to share with you a story. And that story is um, that I had as a kid. I was about nine years of age. My brother, who was older, was about 11. And it was in June. We had both just gotten buzz cuts. And we had that kind of that little kid, eight-year-old, blonde hair, short as could be. I remember rubbing my hand on it and, and looking forward to the summer. I was really looking forward to um, playing and doing all the things that um, I, I, I love summer as a kid. I love getting out of school. And then we were at the table and my dad announced, he said, "My your mother and I, you would say that from time to time, your mother and I, have a surprise for you. This next Friday, so it must have been, I think it was early in the week, we're going to go on a trip. We're going to take a plane, and so now we're getting excited, to Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm going, Madison, Wisconsin? I mean, both my brother and I are kind of a little perplexed. He goes, yeah, we're going to go there for the weekend to a hotel where you can go swimming and stuff. And to be honest, there was mild excitement around that. We were excited when my dad and mom would do that in the winter, and they would take us to a place called Ambassador down by the Cooper Theater. And as we were down there at the Cooper Theater in that area, we would stay in the hotel. It would be snowy outside, and there were games and pool and all kinds of fun stuff. But this was summer, and the New Hope pool had just opened up, and I had plans with my buddies and different things that we were going to do. So we are going to go to Madison, Wisconsin on Friday. So... We go ahead, Friday, get up, go to the airport, um, go through the lines, wait at the, 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 the gate. As we're waiting at the gate, my brother turns to me and says, Kev, Kev, look. He says, Dad, 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 look up here. The, the sign says Los Angeles. And, and my dad said, no, no. He goes, but Dad, it's Los Angeles. My, my dad goes, no, no. They must have not changed the sign. We're going to Madison. And so what were we to know? So we get on the plane get buckled up, wheels up, we're a little bit up in the air when the pilot says, we will be, um, the, the flight to Los Angeles, California will be smooth. And, and then it was at that point when we heard Los Angeles, we erupted in high squeals, all kinds of excitement, cheers, whoopee, we're going to Disneyland. We were so excited. And uh, my dad and mom kind of unleashed the monster at that point because we were full of energy for the rest of the trip. And I remember now looking back, my father, especially my dad, using a lot of his energy to try and control and to direct and to use it to keep us in line. I share that story because when we come to Exodus 19, it's a very interesting um, uh, thing that's happening here. God has said through Moses to the people that he will take them from Egypt, where they have been under abusive slavery. Uh, They have seen a leader, Pharaoh, and those over them who have made their life 
miserable, so much so that for hundreds of years they've been crying out. They have found, um, even before they thought the alphabet was a, a reality, they found in caves where, they, where the Israelites worked for the Egyptians, where there was prayers for God to free them. And God says to them, hey, I got a trip planned for you. I'm going to take you somewhere. The destination, in a sense, was to Mount Sinai. It was a promise that God had given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He said, this will kind of be a sign. You can know this, that, that when you are set free, you'll be here at the mountain where I first revealed myself to you, where I will reveal myself to you. This time, not you singular, but you plural, and your people, in a sense, so that you can know me. The reason I tell that story about my um, father and that his energy was used in a way to help mold us and form us during that time was because they were leaving an abusive power and they, many of them were adults, but God really understood that you, you don't just kind of free someone and then just let them find their way. He knew that he had to be a father. He had to be an all-powerful father that would be different from the from what they had experienced. And so they had to kind of move into what I call a re-entry aftercare program. Prisons have found out that you don't just take people who have been inmates for a long time and then just set them into society. In fact, they don't do that well. That's why we've supported as a ministry Freedom Works. In fact, if you want to listen to a conversation that I did with Cheryl Ramstead, who is the Attorney General, and she was the Commissioner of Corrections, with a guy named George Lang, who is an ex-convict, who now is leading Freedom Works, this ministry that was birthed out of Wyzetta Free, there's a great, their stories are great, but they talk about the need for reentry and aftercare to reduce recidivism. And so, it's very apparent to us we need those programs. When the, when the slaves in our country were released through a reconstruction period, there wasn't a reentry aftercare program, and soon the Jim Crow laws and all the other things took place. And we experienced, I think, the ramifications of that. So here are the people of Israel. God, this wonderful God who is loving, all-powerful, shows his power to them as he does these um, curses and then frees them and, and, and splits the water and then begins to guide them and protect them and provide them for them as they go through the wilderness till they come to this point. And here's what it says in Exodus 19. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day. So we're talking about three months. There's debate on exactly how long it is. about three months since they left. They came to the desert of Sinai. Remember, you have to look at the desert and then Mount Sinai. Um, there's a kind of a desert that is called Sinai as you approach it. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and you are to tell the people of Israel. Now, I just want to stop here because it's really interesting. Um, If you don't, I mean, if you read it in the Hebrew, these words I just read are are really um, a kind of parallel poetic um, entrance into what's really important here. It says, Moses went up to God, and there's ten Hebrew syllables there. And Yahweh spoke aloud to him from the mountain. Another ten Hebrew syllables. 
And then there's a transitional word, just saying, which is two syllables, which then moves again into the next two things. This you will say to the family of Jacob, seven syllables. You will tell the Israelites, and then again, seven syllables. That's poetically set up to, to, to put us in a place to introduce this. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. You, here's what you're to say. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's as if a dad is speaking to his kids. In that culture, they were used to these kind of setups. It would be a king speaking to their people. And and in a moment, you'll see, it says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine, you'll be my, for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. The idea being here that it, it, the kings, um, things that they, they treasured, which were their own person, the word is kind of an interesting Hebrew word. The idea is that this is God's. These people are God's. Those who enter into this relationship that he calls us into, you're God's. If you've responded with humility and a sense of your own need of God, you're God's. And although the whole earth is his, he says, out of the whole earth, I'm going to take you, he says, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Again, really important words. This idea that you'll be priestly kings and a nation that's set apart. He's saying out of all the nations of the world, I'm going to place you in such a position that the whole world will see my glory, which eventually comes in its fullness through Jesus. God is saying to you, out of all the people, as you enter into a relationship and walk with me, I will make you into a person that is a representative of my kingdom here on earth. Set apart to do the works I've called you to do. And then he says, and these are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord. He commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We'll do everything the Lord has said. And some look at that as this kind of a hasty kind of thing. No, they, they have seen what God's done. I think from their hearts, again, they're like children. You have to remember, they have come from an abusive power where there's been a victim mindset. And they've seen this God, and yet they still have to trust. And I just want to say, if you've come from a place where you've experienced an excessive amount of shame, where you've been abused, where you have had authority that has not treated you the way God would treat you, Please don't get down on yourself. It takes time. God knows that trust, think of this, is a skill that you learn. And he was willing to. You don't see him using his energy to get angry at at the Jews at this point, at the nation of Israel. He calls them children. He knows they're in the reentry aftercare phase of learning to trust. Now, that's different with Moses and some of the leaders. But here, with these people... He's teaching him the skill of trusting his goodness and his love. And he's teaching some of you the same thing. And, and I really believe what Satan wants to do is get in your ear and say, you're rotten, you're no good. He loves to bring up the shame again. You know what? No more shame. You have no shame because what Jesus has done on the cross, he's removed the shame. If you acknowledge you're wrong in any situation, the guilt is used just to bring about a temporary correction to keep us moving towards God. So the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their, what? Trust in you as a leader. 
I just say that to leaders within the church. Your trust with people is so important. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. What I want to share here is this contract being made between a, a leader and the people. There is also, if you want to look at it this way, some of you are sociologists, like a social contract being made. And I'll comment on this more in weeks to come. But what I want to share with you today is how God uses his energy and how he used his energy again and again to seek to build trust so they could form a relationship where they could walk with God, not with a victim mindset, but with a sense that God is with them. They have a new ability to choose freely as they follow him and they they pay attention to the laws that are meant to give life are meant to free are meant to build love in community so this word that i just want to just take a moment just to to talk about is this word this whole idea of um being lifted up on on an eagle's wings and and and, and eagles are an interesting um bird in this sense uh, and i'm going to find where i put this here here it is um, if you go to deuteronomy chapter 32 you'll see that it says um, he says in deuteronomy 32 about verse 10 in a desert land the lord found israel in a barren and hollowing waste he shielded him and called for him he guarded him as an apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young and spreads its wing to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Here's, here's, here's the idea. When it's time for um, these young eaglets to leave the nest, and some of you are aware of this, the, the mother will actually push them out of the nest. That feels like a pretty mean thing. Uh, some of you have kids who haven't left the nest and you're probably trying to push them out of the nest. Um, well, the mother pushes them out of the nest, allows for them to fall. But he doesn't, the mother doesn't abandon her young. There, there's kind of what I call a learning phase of how to fly. And if they experience difficulties as they're falling, which many of them do, the mother swoops down below them and catches them in their wings and just does this again and again till they can fly. Till they can begin to not only trust mom, not only trust dad, not only can you trust God, but there's this interesting thing that happens when people move from a victim mindset. They get a good, humble picture of who they are. And they begin to trust God and trust the abilities and who they are in God in a way that combined makes a difference in the lives of others. So, Dad, I really want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about you being that kind of eagle like God says he was to the children of Israel. Because you have children at different phases and different ages. And you need to kind of know what it means to parent with your energy at these different phases and ages of life. You need to understand how important your role is for them to learn to fly. You need to understand first how important God's love is to you. You need to get an understanding of where your fear is and where you react and where you come out with those reactions to your kids. And, and really, I just call it energy. What do you do with your energy? 
What are you doing? Some of you dads have opportunities to mentor. Um, we had that slide. That build me a daddy. There are lots of young men, even though they have dads. I had a dad, and yet I had a guy that I met when I went into counseling at one point who became like a dad to me in a way that he taught me things my dad couldn't teach. And that's okay, dads, because there's some things that you may not have. My daughter wrote me this morning, and, and uh, I, I love what she said. She said, Happy Father's Day. Love you so much. Thanks not only for being such a loving and caring father to me and uh, my sister, but to all those other young men group, men's groups you help lead. Lots of hugs and kisses. That meant a lot to me. Because not only have I had, you know, I, I wanted a boy, I had two girls. And I remember praying at a point when we decided not to have any other children. I remember praying, saying, God, I would love to, I would love to really, um, Give my energy to some uh, to some guys that might need it because I've experienced it from another kind of stand-in dad. Dad, men, got a whole generation of young men. How are you using your energy? The first thing I want to talk about is because for dads, I think one of the are our One of the ways we can use our energy is through anger and, and what's appropriate use of anger. And so as I um, was preparing this message, I want to share with you a number of videos as we have talked with different dads. And so here's the first video of someone who talks a little bit about their understanding and growth in their energy of anger. I've been processing how, um, how I have sometimes used anger in, uh, in, in, in my family. Uh, and you and I have talked a lot about anger. Um, and, uh, one of the things we've talked about how is how anger is not, uh, good or bad, although it can be used in ways that are good or bad. And so I saw a good use of anger, uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, in a very unfortunate context, but, uh, Watching the video of, of the arrest and murder of George Floyd, there was a young firefighter who I think was identified as Genevieve Hansen, and she was there demanding to know George Floyd's pulse. And as the video continues, she breaks in multiple times, demanding and becoming increasingly insistent. Of course, if only the, the police officer had listened but what what I noticed is, uh, you know, as I thought about what I have spoken of, um, I think that maybe one of the things that was happening there is that her anger, which was very apparent, gave her the courage to speak up in a situation where maybe some of us uh, would have been silent. Um, and uh, so that so impressed me. Uh and then on the other hand, I look at how I use anger in other contexts, and I think in particular about coming into the family context. That's a situation where I don't want to use anger to protect myself, although, uh, although I have uh, in the past used anger to protect myself from fear, fear of loss of control, disappointment. Kevin, I've confessed to you how um, over the most trivial things, the spilling of a glass of milk, I've I've gone into a situation of, of excessive anger. And um, 
So, you know, thinking about Genevieve Hansen as a firefighter and thinking about anger as this axe that a firefighter might use to break down a door to, to battle a fire, that's not how I want to come into my children's lives. I don't want to come in suited up in my gear to protect myself from maybe some unsettling emotions that they might be expressing or that I might be feeling uh, because of a situation that I'm uncomfortable with. I want to walk into their lives barefoot, and if there's pain, if there are coals on the floor, uh, I want to find those with my toes, Kevin, and and I I want to just be vulnerable to uh, whatever they're feeling, whatever they're... I so appreciate Rob's honesty and vulnerability. I mean, I didn't know when I asked the question, these guys, what have you learned, what they would be saying... Um, and, and this, I have to say, really hit my own heart. I want you to understand, I think, what the Word of God has to say. Anger is merely your energy. It comes out, though, often when we're afraid or when we're seeking to control for whatever other reasons. Here's the thing I want you to pay attention to, dads. It's really you easy as a bigger person to use your anger to intimidate a little one in order to control them. Right? I want you to think about how God may want you to be using your anger and your energy in a different way. Uh, I wish I had learned some of those things when I was younger. What does it mean for me to pay attention to that and what is really underneath my anger that is seeking to intimidate? Um, I can say this to you who are CEOs or managers. It's the same thing. How do you use your how do you use your anger? And and I find it interesting that this last week we had what we called Camp Meyer at our home. We had all kinds of things set up and we had our grandchildren there for the week and it was wonderful. And I gotta tell you, they're just three in one, but man, I was exhausted every night. It's a different kind of exhaustion. One of the dads will speak about the difference of that kind of exhaustion, but I was exhausted. But I had learned some things. You know, I think being a grandfather is is really easier. I, I know there were times where I was learning how to, instead of kind of using my, my strength to put someone in their place or to do something like that, I had a little one-year-old who, when I was taking the wagon, which we called the train and doing his train rides, who would keep standing up, and, he didn't, and I was concerned about his safety. It was really out of a fear, but I wanted to kind of use this kind of be firm, and he's one. And, and yet one of the things I've learned and some of you have learned is just the power of distraction. And as I was going by, Lord, saw, let me see this little wiffle ball. I put it in there and it just took it away. And it was just a change of the way that I used energy. Or my little three-year-old in, in, in thinking about, um, times with him and, and, and trying to, um, almost command obedience rather than, um, giving choices. You know, it was kind of like um, didn't want to didn't want to um, walk, but wanted to be carried. Didn't want to ride the bike that we were with, um, and basically just saying you either ride the bike, you you know, or you um, are going to walk. And car- being carried wasn't an option at that point. It wasn't because the child was fatigued, etc. You as parents, I just encourage you to think about that. There's another energy that I want you to really consider 
and to kind of dive into, and that's the energy of presence. And so in this, um, I was um, having a conversation here with Russ Orning, and, and Russ shared, I thought, some, some really um, good thoughts on this. And I really just want to share two things. One, just, just perspective to kind of um, lay some groundwork and then some advice, and particularly advice uh, uh, for the fathers. But perspective, just, I would just say, you know, when our kids were not teenagers, less than teenagers, that game for my wife and I was a physical game. It, it, um, and we had lots of time to, to work with our kids. Um, and we knew we were in that phase. I knew when I was in that phase when I would come home from work and the kids would run up and give me a hug and say, let's go play tag or go outside or do something. None of that was mentally difficult we get into the teenager years and that game changes drastically to a, a high mental, lots of mental energy. And the, the amount of time that we can spend with our teenagers becomes compressed. So here's the advice. And this is advice particularly for, uh, for fathers that that mental energy that our teenagers require, that's generally the stuff we give away at work. And it's, it's um, you know, it can be difficult. It can be because even as a father, we can make up stories like that, that story could sound like I've had a really hard day at work. I'm stressed out and I don't want to deal with this stuff tonight. And so, you know, it's not helpful for the family when you're going through difficult things. And they, you know, the issues just become more difficult. So, you know, my advice is just that you can't, you got to have gas in the tank when you come home from work. You, you just, you can't give it all to work. You have to even it out uh, overall in the family and, you know, being tired, being stressed out, giving it all at work. It's just, it's an excuse that we humans make and generally fathers, I think. Um, and again, I, that, that's from my own experience. So, Hopefully that that is helpful. Our our teenagers need our mental energy to get through the tough times. I really appreciate that, Russ, because I do think that's one of the things that for me um, God began to convict me on in in early in my own life, and that was I would often just give my whole energy to the church. And man, that's a that's a hard thing for your wife, who's a pastor's wife. How do you stand up against God and his work? Well, I thank God for my wife. I remember, um, and really I thank God for my mother-in-law. It was my kids were about two and four, and my mother-in-law came to stay with us, and she basically had said, she saw what I didn't see. She saw how exhausted Grace was. And she called it to my attention. And then later Grace and I talked, and we were trying to figure it out. And um, I'm going to say this to you dads, because some of you have heard this from your wives. My wife said, I, you know, let's, let's get counseling. She said, would you even get counseling? Because I was trying to figure out what was causing all this. And I chose to get counseling. I was back in the 90s, and I remember that wasn't like counseling was something that you wanted to do as a pastor. And I remember sitting in the counselor's office just thinking, like, if someone sees me. Because I'm supposed to have the answers. I'm supposed to give the answers, which is a lie. I'm just supposed to teach what the Word of God has to say. And recognize that in many of these areas, I may not even do some of these things well. But truth is truth. 
So I was sitting in there. I come in, and, and the counselor said to me something that I say often to people when I counsel, and that is, we have about an hour. What would you like to accomplish in this hour? And I, if it caused me to stop and think. And I remember just saying to him this. I'd like to know why it is so easy to give my energy to work and so much harder for me to put my energy into my house, in my home. I'd like to understand that, and I'd like to make changes around that. Guys, you might be in a marriage situation where it's, ex- it's exhausting, or you have done around the same mountain again and again, and the same problem keeps coming up. I'm just going to encourage you to humbly just say, God, what do you want me to do? And it may be to listen to advice of, a, of another person outside, just like Moses did with Jethro. He was getting exhausted, as we saw in chapter 18. Or it may be that you need to pay attention to what your wife is saying and say, yes, let's go in and get some counsel. Or even do it yourself, for yourself, for your kids' sake. And the last thing I want to share is the energy of training. All throughout this passage, this training of this eagle will take and push them out, and the whole purpose is so they fly. Your whole goal as a parent is a lot like God's. You're trying to help these little ones, these middle schoolers, these high schoolers, when they leave the nest to fly. So you have to have an idea what does flying look like? How do you do that? What does it mean for them? And am I doing it? I'm not saying you just have a great career. I'm talking about being the man who has character that is like Jesus Christ. And what is in your life that you need to do? It may need be that you need to, to study his word. You may need to be in a group with, with some other guys. You may need the help of God's church. But what are you going to do? What are the goals? And then how are you going to go about reaching those goals in training them? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9 is a great passage. It's one of those priority um, passages of what you should be doing as a family. And it's this, Hero Israel. So he's speaking to the family of Israel here. Again, when they're children. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So that's the first baseline for you as a dad. Are you... What are you doing in your own goal to develop the character of God in your heart? And I'm not just talking about skills, although those are important too. And then these commands instead of the ones that I give you today that are to be on your hearts. You're to be living with them always, impressing them on your children. You're talking about them when you're at home sitting down or when you're walking along the road with them, when you're lying down to go to bed at night or when you're getting up in the morning. I want you to tie these things around you as symbols on your hands or on your foreheads and, and put them on your door front. Basically, I want you to see this everywhere, that you are called to train and form the heart of your child so that child can fly, not just with skills, but with a relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you to listen to just a few more dads. Well, happy Father's Day. I'm so excited to have dads um, share kind of things that they've learned. I talk about wisdom. Wisdom I see as both knowledge and understanding that comes by experience. And so these dads have been sharing, I think, in a sense, some of the things that they've learned. And so share with us. Yeah. So for those that don't know, my wife and I, Shan, have four kids. And what that means is it means we'll have kids in their teenage years for about 15 years straight. So oftentimes you hear the phrase that practice makes perfect. 
And in raising teenagers, I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. So we'll see how much of this is actually beneficial or not. But we're well into our, uh, our teenage years with our kids, so, but more to come. And I would say the biggest piece of wisdom I would have uh, for dads or parents at large is trying really hard to be present. It's really hard nowadays with technology and work and home and activities to be present. And so the way I've done this well with my daughters is when I put them to bed at night, sometimes I'll just lay on the floor next to them and they just love to tell you about their day. And oftentimes I can actually doze off for a little while and it won't even matter because they're still talking about their day. And I see, I seem like I'm a hero, which is fantastic. Now, if you want to punish your sons, you could also force them to tell them, tell, tell you about their day. And that's equally as trouble, troublesome for the boys typically. Um, where this has caused me a problem back to the present or being present is my youngest daughter just last week told me, so dad, why is it that when I ask you a question, you don't seem to hear me, but if I drop a pretzel in the kitchen, you always hear that. So clearly there's room to still improve in this area. In terms of how I look at helping my kids with um, how they're doing with COVID-19, I think one of the places I start is asking them on uh, just trying to understand what they're feeling. You know, I think in many cases there's a sense of loss in not being able to see classmates and do the things they usually do. There was a, a missing missing their teachers and friends. There, there was fear. Uh, I think in terms of um, my, my in-laws, their grandparents uh, were ill at one point. And so just to understand what is it that they're experiencing, what are their concerns? And then in that, uh, Jill and I really tried to, to point them to God. Uh, his sovereignty, the fact that he wasn't surprised by what was happening, and that um, he has had is working out his purposes uh, even through that. And then in terms of helping them, then you know we looked for opportunities. How could we pray together for their grandparents, for their peers? Uh, when we read God's Word, um, and when it says, "When you're afraid, you can trust in Him," in Psalm 56, or when we read the story of, you know, one of their favorite stories in Genesis is Joseph or the story of David or, or going through the Exodus series that we've done in church. Being able to actually um, apply that to how did those people in the Bible trust in God? And so what does that look like for, you know, my boys as they need to trust in God as well at this point? So we just, we tried to use those as teaching moments to help them overcome uh, their fear to, to, to deal with the losses they have and to focus on others. How could they serve others through prayer, um, through loving them, through uh, finding tangible ways of going out of their way to, to let their teachers know they're thinking of them or to, uh, I, we love that Wise Free. We had the opportunity to um, do the baskets for mobile hope and, and help with that. So just ways to help them understand that we're doing things. We can do things to serve others and love others, even, even in these situations. I was thinking about raising children, and uh, in this year, 2020, I cannot think of a more challenging year. Um, it's, you know, we raised our girls, they're 8, 9, and 9, 11, and um, it was challenging, it was scary, but it was a distant location, it was over TV, and the whole idea that we're in times right now where we have um, pandemics in our potentially neighborhoods and our families. Um, look at the skyline of Minneapolis and we see smoke. This is really a different year to the point where Sherry and I kind of feel blessed that we got to raise our kids in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, 
you know, when I think back to the challenges we had with, with children, it was booming technology. Um, we couldn't keep up with it. Our kids are teaching us. It was competitive sports in school. It was more homework than Sherry and I saw as kids um, playing for college when we were in middle school. And obviously there was a lot of concerns and challenges, but no way does that put um, anything in comparison to what we're dealing with today. But I think the advice that we gave to our girls back then still is relevant and can hold true for today. Um, when we were going through challenges with the girls, our, our uh, youngest um, had some anxiety in, in uh, elementary school, and our oldest, it wasn't until she was a freshman in college, but our advice still worked for both. And it's pretty simple, um, but we would always ask them two questions. Uh, the first question we'd ask is, um, whatever this is you're worrying about, did you do your best? Did you work hard? Did, did you do what was asked? with the hopeful answer being, yes, they did, because if they didn't, we had send them back to do their work. Um, but if they did their best, then the second question we asked them is, did you pray about it? And if their answer to that was yes, we'd say, well, then there's nothing else you can do. You give it to the Lord, go take a nap, go sleep, take a break, have some fun, because it's in his hands, and whatever's going to be is going to be, and you've done everything you can. And uh, I'll tell you that that really helped a lot. Um, it, it gave them peace. And for Sherry and I, you know, they were, you know, seven or eight, and we gave them that advice. But it was from Philippians, you know, worry about nothing, pray about everything, um, you know, tell God what you need, thank him for what you have, and you'll receive unending peace. That was kind of where it came from. And then I think it was Romans, um, don't be lazy, but work uh, um, for the Lord with enthusiasm. And so, it was kind of those two pieces we gave to them, and, you know, it really helped calm them in those years of anxiety. And it's funny, but now we flash forward to now. In the past two months, I've been worried, and they're 28 and 29. Uh, they're both married, and now they're having kids. And they asked me, well, Dad, did you do your best, and did you pray about it? And so um, I've been doing a lot of praying the past couple months. So I just think that that advice, I think, uh, works in the 90s, and it works in 2020, even though I, I do believe that it's more challenging now than ever before. A piece of wisdom I would really like to convey is to admit when you're wrong uh, and to not be hesitant um, to show your humility uh, with your children and to uh, admit the, the times that you are wrong and to ask for forgiveness. Uh, those are the times that are hard to do. Uh, but I think as you learn together with your children, uh, they will see that you're not perfect. Well, use your energy, dads. Uh, you are the model, just like Moses was to the children of Israel. He was modeling a relationship with his father. You are modeling a relationship with your father so that your kids can understand his love and his firm direction and his, um, his helping to raise them to be uh, those that know that uh, they have been gifted with that same relationship. So I encourage you to do that. I just have a couple things I want to say before we um, end with a, a, a song. And that is this. Next week again, I'd love for you to be a part of that message as I go into the next part of Exodus with John Orberg. Um, we'd love for you to come here and, and be back, invite friends to live stream it as well. And the second thing I want to mention is that this next Saturday, we have a great opportunity, dads. Uh, we're going to have a Zoom um, breakfast 
together. It's Saturday, this 27th. It'll be from 8.30 to 9.15. Check with the website, our website, for the links, uh, how you're going to be a part of it. But it'll be with the former Viking punter and now current sideline analyst, um, Greg Coleman, who is going to share some things and inspiring things about his own story, but also you can make some comments on the current uh, racial tension that we're experiencing. So we want to continue the conversation. We want to continue to hear how God is working through different people. And please join us, dads, for this breakfast next Saturday at um, 830. And God bless you. The Lord bless you. And the Lord protect you. The Lord um, smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord also um, show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.